Well, good morning, Grace people. Good to be with you today. So glad to be in the house of the Lord with God's people, just as we have been time and time and time again. You may have seen a timeline when you came in on the back wall that just shows the timeline of the life of this church. That's up there from our family meeting that we had last Sunday night. And let me tell you, it was something special. You know, there's some churches who would probably dread anything that sounds like a family meeting because it's like, oh my gosh, well, what's going to happen when we all get together? I never feel that way about family meetings here at Community of Grace because you exhibit and live into our name, which is grace. And it was a great time to be together. We shared, we ate, we laughed, we, we talked, and we, we spoke and dreamed together about what God might have in store for us. And in fact, one of the things that we did is we had a question, a few questions that were asked, but one of the questions that was asked was, was what core values do you experience as a part of being a community of grace? And I love seeing the responses. As you can imagine, the one that hit the top of the list was Jesus makes his family. You had a family meeting, of course. That's what would come to mind. And it is something that we repeat often here and, and we do live into. That was great. But, but closely behind that was our second core value, which is deep roots make good fruit. Now, that's a metaphor, talking about roots and fruit and growth and things like that, but it's a metaphor that's very near and dear to Scripture, the relationship between agricultural themes of roots, fruit, vines, branches, sowing, reaping, cultivating, and harvesting are everywhere in the stories of Scripture. Now, we are committed as a congregation to cultivating healthy disciples, Disciples who uh, have God's word sown deep into their hearts so that they produce spiritual fruit. See, we, we easily go in to that metaphor because it shows up so often. It's part of the reason why we are making our way through the narrative lectionary and marking God's word, hearing God's word, because that's a deep part of what it takes to, to cultivate a healthy disciple. Being on that journey is a wonderful thing, and hearing that metaphor repeated over and over again, I never grow tired of it. And there's no place in Scripture where that metaphor is more clearly expressed than in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah uses this metaphor repeatedly and, and strongly. A lot of agricultural things show up in there. And I want to hone in on one today, because it's a strong word that Isaiah the prophet has for us today. So we want to go right to the source and dive into his word. If you brought your Bibles with you today, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, we're going to start right at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 5. Uh, if you need a Bible, we do have Bibles that are available here. If you just need one, and just raise your hand. Somebody will go back and make sure that we get one for you. Oh, we got somebody who needs a Bible up here. Could somebody just grab one off of the back shelf there and bring it on up here? Come on, anybody back there? Just go, there we go. Thank you. That's awesome. We want to be sure and provide people with Bibles so that they have one and uh, are able to follow along with us. So Isaiah chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They should be right down on the shelf over there. I'm like pointing over there. It's like, we got some down? Oh, okay, well, we got one over here then. You know, exactly. We're just sending you on a long run. <laughs> you know, getting your exercise in today. You know, here. <laughs> there you go. Excellent, excellent. Good, 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 good. All right. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Please listen closely to these words from Isaiah. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it 
and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Let's pause right there. Isaiah is singing a love song. I have no idea how good a voice Isaiah had. I don't know what the tune was, but you're familiar with love songs. Love songs on the radio. Sometimes love songs are, you know, country western love songs, which means in the end everything always falls apart. Um, but but yeah, you've, the, the story of a love song, it's, it's a story. It's a beautiful picture. And this one is filled with beautiful imagery of a beautiful vineyard tended to by its loving owner. Set on a perfect hillside with rich soil and excellent vines. Protected and hedged in by a watchtower. And then fitted with a wine press to turn the fruit of the vine into its most divine and valuable product. Good wine. Now all of this imagery is imagery that might be a little bit foreign to us, but it would have been very, very meaningful to the people of Israel. All of this imagery about vines and vineyards and wine show up repeatedly throughout Scripture, particularly pointing to Israel, to God's people. So they would understand what's being said here. It sounds like a wonderful song filled with beautiful imagery until you get to the last line. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. This vine produces sour grapes, bad grapes. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew gives even other allusions to what these kind of grapes are. It, it could be interpreted as wild grapes or even poisonous grapes. If you think about it, that makes some sense. Maybe you've been out walking on a path sometime, you've seen some bright red berries that are on a, on a branch or, or hanging off of a bush nearby, and you're like, oh boy, don't those look beautiful. Maybe you've been walking with your kids, and they're like, oh, wouldn't that be great? They reach out for me, you grab me, you're like, no, 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 no. They might look beautiful, but they're poisonous. They're nasty. And even if they aren't, they probably taste horrible. That's the picture that is being drawn here by Isaiah, speaking about this vineyard and the vineyard owner. So Isaiah goes on to explain what it means in the prophetic voice of God pertaining to this vineyard in verse 3. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. Let me ask you a question. Who owns this vineyard? Say it really loud. God. Very good. It's God's vineyard. Not your vineyard. Not my vineyard. God's vineyard. God is the owner of this vineyard. The story that Isaiah is laying out is clearly a picture of God as creator, God as provider, God as cultivator, God who does all the beautiful work, a work of his grace in creating this marvelous, fantastic vineyard with choice vines preparing for good fruit and good wine. And now here is the voice of the owner. Verse 4, what more could have been done for my vineyard? Than I have done for it. When I looked 
for good grapes? Why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. God is passing judgment on his people, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, for not producing the kind of fruit that he expects. And he has every right to do this because he's the vine keeper. He is the vineyard owner. He produced it himself. And this story that he's unpacking here is a story not only of what is to come, but it's a story looking back to what he has done all through history for his people. He's painting a picture of his divine grace and deep, deep love and affection for his people. He's done everything for them, and yet what is being produced from them is still sour grapes. That's what he is hearing in return. That's what he is getting in return. What is this fruit, these sour grapes? What is the good fruit that he is expecting? Justice and righteousness. And this vineyard is producing the exact opposite, wild grapes that are poisonous. He's being very, very clear. Our God of love is also a God of justice and righteousness. And where he sees injustice and unrighteousness, his justice and righteousness will tear it out by the roots. That is what his love compels him to do. And he expects his people to follow and do likewise. This bad fruit can't be allowed to remain. Why? Because if it does, it will reproduce. See, God understands the way that things work. If these bad grapes, these poisonous grapes, are allowed to keep going and fall to the ground, their seeds will spread and you'll wind up with more of them the next season. He can't have that. Why? Because it will do damage to his people. It will ruin them. It will devastate them. And out of his deep love and compassion, he doesn't want to see that happen to his people. So he has to cut it out. It has to be cut off and discarded so that something new can be planted and a future harvest can be reaped. That is the message of the prophet Isaiah. And it's repeated in the words of the Messiah, the coming Messiah, who was expected in the time of Isaiah, who was prophesied in the time of Hosea, but now arrives in the Gospel of Mark. Now listen to these words from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Jesus then began to speak to them in parables. Who's the them? The them that Jesus is speaking to are the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, the teachers of the law. That is who he is speaking to here, the religious leaders of Israel. 
And this is what he has to say to them. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Sound familiar? Of course it is. Jesus is quoting Isaiah. And he recognizes that what is happening at the time of his arrival is the same old story. It just has been repeated time and time and time again throughout all of Israel's history. God wants to do something. God provides something for his people. And for a while, they receive it and produce something good. And then something goes bad. Something gets twisted. Something gets lost. And God has to dig it back up and start fresh and start anew. But always out of his deep, deep love and desire for good fruit to come through his people. Why does he want good fruit to come through his people? Because it's his covenant promise that he gave all the way back to Abraham. I have blessed you to be a blessing. The fruit isn't just for their sake. Their fruit is to bless the nations, to see everybody around them blessed. But it's still not happening. So Jesus quotes Isaiah and then he continues on. And brings a new twist to this story. Why? Because he's Jesus, and he gets to. <laughs> then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this one on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the prophets. He's talking about Isaiah and all of this long string of prophets who came saying the same message, telling Israel, God's people, Telling God's people, repent. You need to stop doing this. I want better for you. And I have given you everything you need in order to produce something good. But repeatedly, over and over again, every one of these servants gets sent all throughout history, and the same result happens. They're beaten. They're killed. They're thrown out of the vineyard. They're ignored. They're pushed aside. This happens repeatedly. Until something new, starting in verse 6. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then here comes the punchline. <laughs> then the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders 
received Jesus entirely and thought he was wonderful and repented and turned from the... Oh, wait, no, that's... No. The teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. How ironic, right? Jesus is telling a story and his punchline for this story is, first of all, talking about himself. He is the son, right? He is the son, the one the Father has sent. They will listen to my son. But Jesus knows the end of the story. He knows even as he comes to proclaim this same message to God's people, God's people will instead reject him, have him arrested, have him killed. And those who are within hearing of the voice, the religious leaders go, Aha! He's talking about us. Let's arrest him and have him killed. Spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. Jesus is echoing the voice of Isaiah. But this time the story includes all of Israel's history of sour grapes. And Jesus is feeding those grapes right now to the most religious people of the day, the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, why would Jesus do that? Does he hate these people? Has he given up on them? No. <laughs> this is God's fierce grace and hard mercy being expressed through his beloved son, and they will kill him for it. Why? Because religious people think their way is the solution to God's problem. And it never is. Our way isn't the solution to God's problem. We are the problem. Listen, if you think your way is the solution to God's problem, you will always have a problem with God's solution. And that's exactly what's happening here. If you think you've got it figured out, if you think you can fix yourself, if you think you can save yourself, if you think if those people out there would only get their act together and act more like me and follow my way, that would solve all of God's problems. Wrong! I'm the problem. You're the problem. Our sin is the problem. And we can't fix it ourselves. But God has a solution. And it's his solution, not yours. Listen, we are God's vineyard. We are Christ's church. And he gets to determine what needs to remain because it bears good fruit. What needs to be pruned to produce more fruit and what must be plowed under to start again because of the sour grapes. He does that for us in community and as a church and he does it for us lovingly as individuals as well. He calls us to be examined, to be examined by his word, to be examined by his loving, righteous, and just heart to see us as we really are to recognize our deep, deep need and then to turn to him for rescue. 
Galatians 5 paints a picture of these different kinds of fruits. The bad fruit and the good fruit. We'll start with the bad fruit in Galatians 5, starting at verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's God's word. And if you hear that list and your first thought is, yeah, I'm glad that somebody out there gets their thing called out, then you're the problem. This has to hit you first before it should hit anywhere else. God's law comes to us to point out in you and in me our desperate, desperate need so that God can root it out, prune it, heal us, save us, rescue us, and then bring us into new life. And what is the new life like? Well, it's in the next list. In fact, it's fruit. Imagine that. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. There's the good news, friends. God has done the work. He wants us to take seriously his word. And we ought always to take God seriously. And we must not take ourselves too seriously. We've thrown that phrase around here from time to time. And I want to explain it a little bit more. Because I believe there's something really rich in it that God wants us to remember. We must take God very seriously. We must not take ourselves too seriously. Why? Because so often I see in people the opposite. I see people who take themselves very seriously, and often they're the most religious. Yes, I take myself very seriously. I take my walk with God very seriously. I am deeply disciplined. I am living out a righteous life in every way and manner. You ought to follow me, because I'm serious. Ha! Really? Really? You see, the problem with taking yourself that seriously is it probably means you don't take God all that seriously. Because God's the one who's going to do the work, not you. God's the one who wants to do the rooting out. He's the one who wants to, to pull up the bad roots and give you something fresh and new. The Spirit is His, not ours. The work belongs to Him, not to you. We must take God very seriously. Take his love seriously. Take his desire for good in you seriously because he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. He desires good for you more than you could possibly hope for. And he has given you everything you need through his son Jesus 
who went to the cross, died, shed his blood so that we could be free and forgiven and healed. And then sends his spirit to fill us with his life, abundant life. We must not take ourselves too seriously because when we do, we make God too small. It sounds like this. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Pray like it all depends on God, but work like it all depends on you. Have you heard that before? Yeah, it sounds like wisdom. It's not. No way. Pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on God. Thank you. You got it, right? Because <laughs> it all depends on God. All of it does. That should give you great hope. It's not up to you. It's up to him. And he's already proven and shown how deeply he loves you and what he desires for you. Pray like it all, like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on God. <laughs> God will tend his vineyard just like God will tend your life. God wants to bear good fruit in your life and he has done everything necessary to accomplish this. And all he asks us to is respond. Respond to this good news. How can we respond? Four simple ways. I'll be quick on these. <laughs> repent, believe, receive, and repeat. Repent, believe, receive, and repeat. What does it mean to repent? It means to turn, not just away from your sin, but to turn to Jesus. It's not enough to just to turn away from your sin, because if you turn away from your sin, I guarantee you, you'll find another one. Oh, look! <laughs> no, turn away from that, but then turn to Jesus. It's his gift to you. Repentance is a gift. And then from that place of turning to Jesus, then believe. Also a gift. <laughs> A gift of faith that he gives to you that you can trust in him. And when your faith starts to falter and when you whether, whether oh boy, do I really believe or not, then cry out the same way that the man cried out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That's how much we can trust in Jesus. He can help us in our belief and our unbelief as well. So we repent, which is a gift from God. We believe, which is a gift from God. And then we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. Three gifts, all of them given to us. We just have to open our hands. Repent, turn to Jesus, believe in who he is and what he has done for you, and then receive this gift of his Holy Spirit so that you can walk in this life filled with his love, filled with his power. And then when you mess up, which you will, repeat. Just repeat, right back to the beginning. And know that it's just a journey of walking with Jesus, repenting, believing, receiving, and repeating. That's what he calls us to. That's the good work that he does in tending to his vineyard, which is your life. He is the vine. You are the branches. He wants you to bear good fruit, to produce new wine. Let's take God seriously and don't take ourselves too seriously. Let's take his word seriously. Let's take his love for us seriously. 
and see what he will do in you and in me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we are today again. Lord, hearing your word proclaimed to us, being reminded of your fierce love, your intense grace, your deep mercy, Lord. And Father, we recognize that sometimes, Lord, not sometimes, like all the time, there is something that we need to repent from. There is some place that we have let our eyes wander, that we've let our hearts drift, and we just need to turn away from that and turn back to you. And that is an invitation that you give to us every day, and you welcome us back with open arms as we turn and see you. And then, Lord, you give us the gift of faith to believe in you, to believe the good news of who you are, what you have done, and what you will do. And then we open our arms tonight today, Lord, to receive your Holy Spirit, the abundant life that you want to pour into us, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, and the self-control. All of those things come from you, Lord. Help us to receive them today. And then, Lord, help us to repeat it again tomorrow. Because that's just how good you are. Thank you, Jesus, for this day. We bless you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.